Hello, you're listening to Home Talk with Greg McKim on Tuesday, December 17th. I hope you have your Christmas shopping done. I better start thinking about it. How about you, Eric? Yeah, I got to start thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's the first step. Think about it. That's right. Have you ever have you ever bought gifts right before the store closes on Christmas Eve? Absolutely. Oh, yes. Yeah. There should be a club of people that do that. I mean, I'd be the I'd be a founder. Procrastinators member. are us. <laughs> That's exactly right. How, how, I, there's, I bet you could make money as some sort of service. Where, I bet there is one out there. The people go out and shop for you. Sure. And do it. Yeah. Schuber. Uh, uh, there's got to be right. You've heard of them. <laughs> it's like Schuber or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Of course, these days you can do things online, but if you don't do that on time, I'm of just course, making that up, by the way. But I'm, oh, that's a, I'm guessing that's what it would be called. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So. Um, this is the show. Oh, I'm, by the way, I'm your host, Greg McKim, Home Talk with Greg McKim. And on the show, we deal with about everything that has to do with home ownership, buying and selling homes, maintaining homes, financing homes, insuring homes, flipping homes, buying homes for long-term rental investments, condos, single-family homes, multifamily homes, you name it. And um, I've been in the business now in some fashion since the late 70s, started out as a carpenter laborer. And um, I'm now, well, I have been a um, loan originator off and on, but mainly on since uh, 1991. I am currently the vice president of mortgage lending at Legacy Group Capital here in Bellevue. My originator license number, 106202. And the Legacy Group Capital License, 99045. That's on the lending side. I'm also a licensed real estate broker with Rockwell Realty. So I do this show because I like to help people make good financial decisions. And I find that a lot of people need guidance and help in these arenas of buying homes and financing and so forth. And I bring a unique spin to it. I talk about things that you won't generally find others talking about. At least that's my experience, Eric. Would you, uh, you, you found that I talk about things you haven't heard about before, right? I concur with that, sure. And this is Eric, my partner at the station here. Well, he's the producer. He keep, he's the one that keeps me in line. Well, I try. You try, yeah. <laughs> so while the show is on today from 3 to 4, I'm here every Tuesday from 3 to 4, or sometimes I... I, I I, re- I rebroadcast shows, but 3 to 4, 11.50 a.m. KKNW, 3 to 4 on Tuesdays. You can call in during the show, ask me any question you want. Try to stump me. If you can stump me, I'll find an answer for you off air. The number here is 425-373-5527. Again, 425-373-5527. Or you can reach me on my cell off air at 206 250 6545. Again, that's 206 250 6545. Or my email, Greg M. That's G R E G M at legacyg.com or visit legacyg.com. And of course, you can listen to my podcasts. Any podcasts you subscribe to, any service you subscribe to, you can just look it up Home Talk with Greg McKim, or you can go directly to the 1150kknw.com website and look under audio archives. Podcasts. For podcasts. That no, that's what you look under. Oh, okay. I, I, I thought okay, so I'll change that. Yeah. It's a pod under po- look under podcasts. That's right. All right. What is what, what is podcast? Where'd that come from? What's a pod part? Well, it came from the iPod 
Mm. And podcasts were uh, originally and still are just digitally distributed. Okay. So it would appear in your iPod. Got it. So a that, podcast that's the, instead see, of I a broadcast. Think, whenever yeah. I think of pods, I think invasion of the body snatch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, luckily. Don't uh, fall asleep. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. L- luckily, podcasts uh, won't take you over and clone you or whatever. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, I vaguely you know, remember the plot of this movie. Oh, yeah. Well, there was original, I think, back in the 50s or 60s. Then it was redone and it had um, Leonard Nimoy in it. Um, Donald Sutherland, and that was probably the 70s, maybe the 80s. Yeah, I remember seeing that as a kid. Yeah, it's kind of creepy. It definitely was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess all the scary movies in your life, what's the one that actually, very few scary movies actually scare me? Of all the scary movies, Eric, in your life, what's the one that really scared you? Hmm. Boy, that's a good that's a good question. Because now, like, when I see scary movies, I just think, well, this is a movie. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> but seeing them when you're a kid, that's right. when they're really scary. Yes. Um, and I remember the movie Phantasm, like, really sticking with me for a long, long time. I don't remember that one. The one that It was with, genuinely creepy. Yeah, the one that got me when I was a kid, probably sixth grade, maybe seventh, I don't know. Psycho. Oh, yeah. Alfred Hitchcock. Sure. My, my best friend and I and another good friend went down to the Kenmore Drive-In Theater. And um, Al Murdoch's, he was, he was the dad, in his Datsun 240Z, the first Zs that came out. No, maybe we went to the Camaro. It doesn't matter. We had a 240Z. And then we were so it scared. Was, it was a sweet ride. That's oh, yeah. A, that's yeah. The that, that was, I don't think he took <laughs> too small for us to be all on that one. Maybe, though. But I just remember being scared for years. Like, <laughs> Nervous I, about taking a shower? Oh, man, yes. <laughs> and, and then that night, what we did, Murdoch's had a, a farm down out in Kenmore, and we slept out in the barn. It's just because we liked the adrenaline of being scared. We stayed up all night. We put big bales of hay up as barriers against, you know, the white, the knife-wielding <laughs> Anthony Perkins. I'm sure he was going to find us out there. <laughs> that was crazy, man. Well, yeah, just that, that music is genuinely it, it, chilling. Absolutely. That's, that's yeah. actually a very well-done, well-crafted scary movie. Real. Did you ever see the, as long as we're on this tangent, did you ever see the movie High Anxiety? Mel Brooks... It's kind of a, a satire of uh, these Hitchcock movies. Oh, and there's I, a, I've not seen that. I've heard it's pretty well done. Pretty there's funny. a there's a great scene uh, in where he's taking a shower in the hotel, and then like they bring his paper in, and they. <laughs> He's, he's delivering his paper directly to him in the yeah. shower. Here's your paper, 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 paper. And then at the end, you see like the newsprint going down the drain, like uh, you would. That's good. In Psycho, the blood. Yeah, so yeah, that's pretty well done. Yeah. I like. Well I, worth I, I looked that up sometime. Say, um, so you were on vacation. I was. And where'd you go? I went to New York, London, and Dublin. Wow. For how long? Two weeks? Yeah, just a couple weeks. So um, have you been back to England or Ireland before? Yes, I have, yeah. All right. You have relatives back there? or I roots? don't, but I have friends, uh, friends. in the U.K. And, and now some new friends in Ireland. So. Wow. Yeah. So you've been to Dublin before? I have. It's one of my favorite places. Wow. I've always wanted to go there. I never have. I have some Scots-Irish in me. You definitely so need thought. to visit both Scotland and Ireland. Yes. They're both wonderful. Do you, I definitely do. So any highlights you want to share with the audience? Uh, well, you know, just just being in Dublin is always a lot of fun. The food is fantastic. The people are, are fantastic. Personal highlight for me, I saw a band that I've been a fan of since for 30 years now. 
and I never thought I'd ever have the chance you to see them. You don't seem old enough to even remember a band 30 <laughs> years ago. I don't get that, but maybe you were a young music aficionado. I, I was, yes. Yeah. And uh, I never thought I'd have the chance to see them. They're called A House, okay. uh, an Irish band. And uh, they got back together. And, uh, Just for you, you well, knew you were coming into town. That's cool. Yeah, <laughs> and they uh, they did two shows this year, uh, one in June, which I couldn't make. And okay, so, now I never heard their music, so sing a song for me. I'm not going to sing a song. For what? You. No. Come on. I, no. This is my show. I get you. Get to, you do what I want you to do. That, that's not uh, how it works. Oh, that's not how it works. Just, just look them up. Trust me. I'll look them up. Fantastic okay. Irish band. But so they got back together, and they, I missed the show in June, and then they announced, and I thought that was it, but then they announced the December show, and I said, I gotta go. And I have a friend in New York who's just as big of a psycho fan of, as I am <laughs> of them, and so we decided to go you brought together. Brought the psycho thing back into that's that. right. That was very yeah, well, very yeah. well played. Yeah. So we went, and the show was fantastic, everything we could have hoped for. But afterwards, uh, the guys were nice enough uh, to invite us up to hang out with them in the VIP. How'd you manage that? Well, you know, I'm kind of a PT VIP, so. <laughs> no, I'm mean, serious. So how'd you get that? You, you knew somebody that knew somebody or what? Well, no, I, I reached out ahead of time to them and said, hey, we're coming to we're coming from America. To All see the way you to see you. Yeah, because well, this that's means pretty cool, so then. much to us. So, wow. Um, so they recognized us, and they said, yeah. hey, do you want to come? Now, who'd you travel with? Uh, just my friend Mike, who lives okay. in New York. So, yeah, yeah, went to see him first and then All right. hopped over to London. Your wife didn't go with you. She over. decided to stay home. I'm not married, but yes. Oh, I my... don't know why I thought you were married. <laughs> Where'd that come from? All right. Yeah. My girlfriend's not as big of a music nut okay. as right. I yeah, am. Yeah, so the idea of going in December <laughs> to these colder places yeah. seemed maybe not as appealing to her, but which okay. I could totally understand. But Good yeah, trip, it was a though. lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Something I'd love to do. That's great. So, Eric, today I don't have a guest other than you. And, um, well, so, I'm happy to take your questions. <laughs> <laughs> so what I did, I do this every once in a while. I subscribe to quite a few different news sources that are related to, guess what, real estate finance industry. That's what I do. So I printed some things I think are worth talking about. But listeners, please feel free to call in if you have anything you want to talk about with real estate. Any questions. doesn't matter what it is. Again, try and stump me. See if you can stump me. Uh, so what I'm going to start off with is I do this usually at the beginning of every show. I talked just a little bit about interest rates, what they're doing, and I'll just say what I said the last couple months, nothing. They stay in about the same. They bump up and down by about an eighth in rate for a given fee right now. And as I've said before, and I'll say it again, rates themselves don't change. The price of the rate changes. But today, for a specific rate, uh, the same price last week, you would have got a rate that was about an eighth lower. So rates are up about an eighth for a given price today. And that's about what we're seeing, up and down, about an eighth for a given price. So the given price, you understand what I mean by that, Eric, after listening to me a number of times? You understand sure. it? So people that don't know what I'm talking about, imagine there's in, there is no such thing as when it comes to home loans. As we're talking about home loans. We're not talking about car loans or Fed rates. We're talking about home loans. For, for, for most lenders, there's no such thing as a rate. There's exceptions, but we're not going to talk about them because most loans are done through Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Those are the big secondary market entities that buy loans from the lenders who promise to deliver the loan to Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac in advance. And those rates always come in a range. Like today, if you looked at a 30-year fixed rate mortgage, non-jumbo, that means it's a conforming rate, rates are anywhere from, say, 5 to 3. The higher the rate, 
the more profit to the bondholder, who is ultimately the party that actually loaned the money. Everybody else is a middleman. Fannie Mae is a middleman. The lender is a middleman. The mortgage broker is a middleman. All the way down to, say, three. And that range of rates doesn't really change very often. Technically, it never changes. But the practicality of the higher low ones changes because the cost involved. So what changes every day is the cost of a given rate. So let's just pick a rate for kicks of three and a half. And one day it might have a cost, another day it might have a credit. Another day it might have a cost, and that goes up and down. So when I say the rates change, they don't really change. But if you said, let's say that the cost today was zero for a rate, roughly, last week it was three and a quarter, today it's three. Last week it was three and eight, today it's three and a quarter. Does that make any sense to you, Harry? Because if you get lost, then that means everybody else is lost too. Because you're the smartest person that's listening right now. No, no offense <laughs> anybody else. I don't think that's true. Yeah. Uh, but I'm always kind of confused by it. But I, I feel confused, like yeah. the professionals are even kind of Well, yeah, I mean, I would it, say that they, that's true. Yeah. I, I talk to a lot of mortgage people who don't get this. They really don't understand right. it. They don't understand where it all comes from, how it got that way. They don't get it. By the way, I'm not, I was being facetious. Of course, I know there's a lot of people out there that are smarter than Eric that are listening right now. <laughs> a lot smarter than me, too. That's for sure. So let's just go through it one more time. So let's sure. just pretend today rates are between four and three. Good enough number. Yeah. Okay. So let's just pick a rate right in the middle, three and a half. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the way that the bond investor, the people who buy and sell the Fannie Mae bonds, the Freddie Mac bonds, the way they make money is by looking at how much that rate is going to give them over a certain period of time as an investment. So they say, hmm, three and a half. Where else could I invest my pretend 100000 bucks? I could invest it in stocks. I could invest it in gold. I could invest it in you, you know, antique cars, whatever. But I'm going to invest it at three and a half today. And um, so that's a decent investment for me. And let's just pretend at that point that the consumer, you, the borrower, doesn't have to pay anything for that rate. We're excluding other costs, title, escrow, appraisal, credit report. Okay. It's just let's just let's do this for a second. I haven't I don't know if I've done this to you before. Let's pretend right now that there's no such thing as a mortgage broker like Legacy Group Capital. There's no such thing as a lender, like one, one of the lenders, many lenders we approve with, like, let's just pick one up, United Wholesale Mortgage. They don't exist. Let's, let's pretend there's no such thing as Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. They don't exist. It's just Greg McKim has, let's just use $100,000 available, and he wants to invest it someplace. So I, here I am. I am the investor. You are the borrower, Eric, and you want to borrow $100,000 from me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So why would I lend you that money? Well, I'm thinking, hmm. I have his house as collateral, so it's a pretty safe investment. And I do some other, you know, assessments of you, your credit, your ability to pay back, you right. know, that sort of thing. Your haircut. <laughs> so um, My history of yeah, your history. paying so, loans. So I'm looking around. I'm thinking, hmm, right now today, if I were to invest $100,000, say, over the next 10 years, I could make some place on it, uh, who knows, 3.5%. Okay? But- it's riskier. So I'm going to invest in your house because it's less risk. And we're done. You and me, we're, ha- we're happy, right? So then why are there more r- rates available? Why is there three and four? Because people trade these rates all the time. So once, let's just pretend that I've, that I've done a, I've, I've lend you, loaned you the money for 30 years, even though we know you're going to pay it back before that. But let's just say 30 years, right? And two years from now, I think, gosh, I really want my money back. It's not, you're not like a bank, are you? If I come knock on your door, Two years from now, I say, hey, Eric, uh, I, I'd like my money back. Yeah, I'd say, sorry. Yeah, you say, <laughs> that's well, not that's happen. nice. Come on and have a cup of coffee, but <laughs> yeah. forget that. Right. And um, and but at that point, maybe there's $98,000 left anyway, right? 
because you already paid me something back. Right. So I'm thinking, gosh, I really need that $98,000. I got something else I want to do with it, whatever it is, you know. Maybe I want to buy a nice Tesla. Who knows, right? Maybe I want to get, you know, another another haircut. Who knows, right? Not that I need one. That's an expensive barber. <laughs> That's right. So anyways, so I'll, what I'll do is I'll look around for somebody who wants to buy it. Somebody says, oh, you got 28 years left on this loan from Eric at 3.5%. I'll buy it from you today. I'll pay you this for it. And that's why the cost of that rate changes every day because people are trading those things back and forth. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. And why is there a range of rates? Well, because let's just say that um, you, you said to me, well, Greg, I, I'd, like a, I'd like a lower rate. I, I guess my 100000 I say, uh, okay, I'll, I'll lend you three and a quarter, but guess what you got to do? I'm not going to make as much money. You're going to have to give me something up front for it. That's called a discount points. And a point is simply a percent. So one discount point equals 1%. Now, this is a math test. You ready? A half discount equals half percent. I right. That. Okay. <laughs> now, you, I was cheating. You, you say it. So a half, half percent. Yeah. So let's pretend yeah. we had a $100,000 loan, right? Right. And you paid one discount point to me. Yet what you, they call that buying your rate down. You say, I want a lower okay. rate. I'll pay upfront money for that privilege. Mm-hmm. And then you'd say, well, why would you do that, Eric? Why would you pay me an extra, let's just say, 1000 bucks in this case to save, say, whatever it would be. I don't have the number in front of me. And, but, and uh, this is separate from your down payment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is uh, like Yeah, you've already of, given me down payment. This it, is just- In this, lieu we're of all, interest. We're only talking about yeah. the interest rate. Okay. So let's just say you said, Greg, but I, I want a lower rate. And I say, well, I can do that. But you're going to have to give me something. So you pay that thousand bucks. Why would you give me that thousand dollars to have a lower rate? Well, because over the long term you're paying less, right? Right. So yeah. you'd calculate, say, hmm, how much money do I save a month? When do I recoup it? And it's anywhere, it's usually from two to five years you recoup it. It, mm-hmm. it varies a lot for all kinds of complicated reasons. Okay. Okay. Let's go the other direction. Remember, I've talked to you on the show before about how there's no such thing as a no cost loan. People market say no fee, no cost. It doesn't exist. Because everybody has to get paid. Title company, escrow company, credit company, courting has to be paid. Loan originators have to be paid. Appraisers have to be paid. So what, let's just say, again, I'm off on your rate of three and a half, and you say, gosh, Greg, I, I can't pay all those other costs. I can't afford to pay an appraiser. I can't afford to pay a title company. I only have 20% down. That's it. Or whatever down payment we agreed to. Okay? I say, okay, I'll tell you what. If you take a rate of four from me today, I'll make extra money. You know, over the ter- term of the loan. So I'll give you a credit at closing out of my potential future profit. Of course, I'm, you know, the people that buy and sell these things, are, they've got formulas for this and so forth. But let's just, I'd say, okay, I think you're going to be there, uh, you know, you're going to be there a long time, I think. And so for me, if I give you the money up front today to pay those other costs and I raise your rate, I'll come out ahead. That's where the no cost loan comes from. They don't exist. So, listener, if anybody ever tells you that you're paying no fees, it's not true. Or no loan fee or no loan costs. It's not true. Now, are they lying to you? No, but they're really not telling you the whole truth. And so, how? why does that matter? Because now you're not making a decision. Somebody has sold you on a concept instead of helping you make a good decision about whether you should or shouldn't pay these costs up front because the long-term costs of having a higher rate because the rate was higher in order to pay those costs for you. 
that should be an open conversation with whoever your loan originator is instead of a sales technique to get you to think they charge less when they really don't. Make more sense now? Absolutely. That helped? Yeah. All right. It always helps with graphics and visuals too, but, mm-hmm. but they explained it in a way that made more sense to you. Definitely, okay. yeah. And so the reason the price on this range of rates changes every day is because people are trading these things. Right. Partly, also because the people who are buying and selling them are trying to predict the market, the, you know, but it's mainly because they're trading the stuff. It's a story I gave you at the beginning. Knock, 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 give me my 98000 bucks back, and you say no, and I sell it to somebody else. All right. Now, now we're going to say- And why, why do banks do that uh, so much? Oh, that's a great, uh, great because, question. Because, I mean, I feel like every mortgage that I've had has changed hands- ah. At least two or three times. Okay, so let's go back in time. Let's go back before the advent or creation, if you will, of Fannie Mae, which took place. I remember. I used to know the year, but I don't know. Let's just pretend it's 1935 because I don't remember. It, I, it, I could look it up. Okay, here's how banks used to work, and some banks still do. And a lot of people think this is how all banks work, and it's not true. I would say maybe 10% of the banks work like this. By the way, when I say banks, I'm always talking about residential home loans, commercial loans, and other types of consumer loans, totally different thing. Residential home loans, 90% of them are done through some sort of a Fannie, Freddie, FHA, VA thing, but 90% of them roughly are Fannie, Freddie, okay? They're the two entities that, that, that have that bond market we've just referred to. Okay, Eric? All right, so before the advent of Fannie Mae, in the 1930s and then Freddie Mac in, in 78. But what happened was that a bank, let's just, remember the, remember um, It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart? Of course. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't know that? Yeah. Right? Okay. So let's just pretend that, that Jimmy's bank, whatever the name of it was, I don't know. Jimmy's bank. Well, no, it was the uh, the savings and loan. This is the savings? Be- Bed- Bedford Falls savings and wow. loan, I think it was. Wow. Yeah. Very impressive. Okay. I do remember that now. <laughs> so Bedford, let's just pretend they had a million bucks to make. Just pretend. Sure. Okay? So the way they made money is they would give you, the depositor, say, 2% interest. I don't know. Okay? And then the way they would pay you that is because they would loan, loan the money to somebody else for, say, 4%. Right? And let's pretend they're loaning to somebody who wants to buy a house. Well, they only got a million bucks. So after they ran out of money to lend, they're done. So they also had quite a bit of risk because if that person didn't pay them back, how could they pay you back if you came to the bank and wanted your money back? Right. This limited the number of people that could buy homes before the 1930s because only people that had, were super well qualified, lots of assets, big down payments, you know, and it was, it was more also who you knew, but re- really only rich people could own homes. So it yeah. boiled down to. So, like Mr. Potter. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So in the 30s, when Roosevelt came in office, one of the goals was to help more people own homes. So they, Congress, and I don't know that I remember this from way back. Actually, I, I knew this from way back, but I don't remember the details. They formed Fannie Mae, which was at that time a for-profit private entity. The idea behind it is as follows. Instead of having a bank in their limited market with a million dollars, maybe there was a big bank that had $10 million, but they were still limited how much they could lend, and they only could lend to a small part of the population. They created the national it, by the way, this doesn't exist anywhere outside the United States. A national pool of money for everybody to go to. So think about if you're a lender right now and you have a million dollars that you could lend out and you could lend it out and make a 2% spread on it. And that's as much as you could do because you don't have another, you don't have any more money, right? So 2% of a million dollars over a year is $20,000, right? That's all the money you could make. 
Now what they do, and this is because of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they lend you somebody else's money and make a fee on it. They can take that same money and lend it out over and over and over and over and over and over again. And they still have some risk, but it's much, much less because Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have set the guidelines as to what kind of loans they will buy from the bank. The bank says, okay, Eric, we'll lend Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac money to you based on the guidelines that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac established. As long as they, as long as those, you meet those, and then Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac take on the risk unless there's some proof that the bank did something fraudulent or it really negligent, okay? So the bank now is off the hook, and they take that same money. Let's just pretend they lended that same money out every month for 12 months and made 2% on it each time. <laughs> they make 12 times as much money a year. And that's what they do. In fact, banks make their money off of the fees because they have nothing to do with the interest rates. Right. There's exceptions. For instance, Washington Federal, a local bank here, doesn't do that. They lend right out of their deposits. They're actually a regional bank. Great bank. I, I, I'm, we're approved for them. We send loans to them. Their cost of their money and their rates are always higher because they have higher risk, but they'll do things that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac won't do. There's all kinds of little niche lenders like that, but the bulk of lenders do what I just told you. So lenders actually make their money off of fees. Now, here's a surprising thing. The average bank probably makes right around 2% on a loan. That's why I kept using that number, even though they'll tell you that we make 1% or zero. But that's, that's because they get that money. Remember we talked about how with a higher rate, they take that money from the lender on the, on the rate. Lenders don't really explain to consumers how much, the, how much money they're making because they're not required to. Mortgage brokers have stricter requirements as to what we tell you we earn. But banks, because they have a better lobby than we do, they can hide things that we can't hide as mortgage brokers. Now, is this making sense or are I losing you at all? Yeah, no, I'm following you. Okay. So now, this was a wonderful thing. And the reason that, 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 that Congress founded Fan, Freddie Mac in 1978 is to have a competitor. Because remember I told you at the beginning that Fannie Mae is a for-profit organization? Mm-hmm. You could buy stock in it. You could either buy their bonds, which is a long-term investment, trade them and do things with it, or you can buy stock in it. Well, what happened was that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they were, they, even though they were private entities, everybody knew that if anything went wrong with them, the government would step in and bail them out because, they were, because the implications of them going under were just, you know, catastrophic. Well, guess what happened? Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac in the early 2000s got a little carried away. Not only them, but there were these subprime lenders you heard about that do different type of lending than we, we just talked about. But there's also Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac aren't the only games out there. If Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac won't underwrite and buy a loan from a bank because the criteria of that borrower or the property doesn't meet their standards, then you have other lenders that will come in. There's all kinds of terms. We had a show on that once. Alt-A, subprime, hard money, okay? There's also investors for that. So, like, if you have a lender that'll take somebody who has a bad credit score or a really low down payment or can't document their income. There were investors who would buy those loans from the banks that were willing to play in that market. Those costs, the rates and fees are always higher on those, right? That stuff just got out of control. And Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac actually got a little out of control too. They were just doing things that didn't make good business sense, but it was a free-for-all back in the 2000s. And you probably remember 2008, 2009, everything went, you know, bad. Yeah. And Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac had to get bailed out and bought by the government. Mm-hmm. Or taken over would be a better way to put it. The government still owns them right now. And now the top, there's a whole, kind, a whole bunch of talk about what are we going to do with them. 
they've turned out to be profitable for the government. Mm-hmm. Should we get rid of them altogether? Should we get more of them? Should there be more competitors so this kind of thing doesn't happen? It's unresolved. Some people are adamantly about, adamant about, you know, get rid of them. I can't see getting rid of them. I can't see going back to a system that I talked to you about at the beginning where you got Bedford Savings and Loan. Right. It just doesn't make sense to me. Now, one of the things that happened after the 2008 meltdown. Well, it was definitely a massive success in getting people oh, to you got people, own homes, right? 60 to 65 percent of homes. Yeah. I don't have the number in front of me anymore, but I bet back before the night, before Fannie Mae in the 30s, I bet maybe 10 to 15 percent of the population owned home, everybody else, or they bought them cash. I don't know. I'll, I could look it up. It'd be interesting. But, you know, now we're in the 60 to 65 percent range of, ho- of people in the United States who are, you know, are homeowners. That's really good for everybody. It's good yeah. for the economy. It's good mm-hmm. for everything. So, um, but when the when the meltdown happened, uh, the government came up with some more rules about having banks have a little bit more skin in the game. And I couldn't tell you what those rules are, so that instead of them just being left off, you know, get get off the hook if Fannie and Freddie had problems, the banks had to be a little bit more invested in what would happen. But they had those 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 rules. I see these things ebb and flow. Like when I got in the business in 1991. We wouldn't do loans that we'll do today. Give you an example. If you put less than 20% down, your debt-to-income ratios, I think debt-to-income is how much, there's, there's two parts of debt-to-income. Your house payment divided by your income and all your debt, house payment plus consumer, auto, credit cards, divided by your income. Those are called the housing and the total debt ratios. Okay. Back when I got in the business in 91, if you put less than 20% down, you couldn't even put less than 5% down. But if you'd put that, you would be like, your debt-to-income ratios would be like uh, 28, 22, 20. Just, I, I can get people qualify right now with 50% debt-to-income ratios. So even though it was really loosened up in the 2000s, it's not gone anywhere back to where it was before that. And it's, it seems to be working pretty good. There are some people out there that are worried. There's been, a, there's been an uprise, an uptick, if you will, in some of the subprime business again, some more loosey-goosey rules, but nothing like it was, unless there's something I don't know about. So I went off on a little tangent about that, but we're talking some. We're talking about oh, whether or not Fannie and Freddie will exist anymore. That's how I got right. on that tangent. Yeah. I don't see it. I just don't see it. I don't see how you could have the banks do the business. They, they just, they just, it's too much risk. They run out of money. Yeah, unless somebody comes up with a much better idea, I don't see things changing. I've either. always been yeah. a proponent of having more Fannies and Freddies mm-hmm. so they could compete with each other. Okay. It's good that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac compete with each other. I wouldn't want it to be only Fannie Mae. Yeah. That's why Freddie Mac was brought into existence in 78 because, and that is, but there was talk about it before the meltdown in 2008. There was talk about, you know, we need more, we need more Fannie Freddies. There's too much, we've got too much risk with just two entities that do this. I don't know why it didn't happen. You know, it's like a lot of things in life. Probably just because it was just so big and so cumbersome. It's how do you make it happen? Who could compete with them? Well, just trying to come up with another name that's FM. <laughs> <laughs> There's the hard part right there. Yeah, but I mean, right now, if you were to go out and try to set up, and it'd be really hard to do. Yeah. And they're so massive. The only way you could do it would be like an AT&T breakup where the government just comes out, okay, just split it up and just say, you run over here, you run over here, which is something that I've heard talk about. Okay. So there you go. And we didn't even get into the news yet. <laughs> That's right. Well, you still got about 24 minutes. Oh, I got plenty of news yeah. here, too. So uh, any questions, more questions about that? No. I mean, that, that was fascinating stuff. Made sense to you? Yeah. Okay. 
as long as we're on that topic. I, I, wa- I still wish that a bank, if they get my mortgage, would just hold oh, on to it. that's the other part. Okay, that's Be- how we got we got Because it. okay. it's such a pain when right. you set up that auto pay, right. right? And yeah. then yeah. suddenly you're in a, another bank, and then, okay. yeah, you got to so, try and set it up again. Like most things in life, there's little nuances. So I said banks make their money off of fees. Remember, we're only talking about, the, you know, we're talking about the main lending institutions. Some banks make money off interest rates, like Washington Federal. So, but there's another little, there's another part of that. Okay, so every month somebody has to collect the money on behalf of the bond investor. You know, the Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac bond investor. That's called servicing the loan. Who's going to collect the payment? Because remember, the interest rate, somebody is making money off that interest rate someplace. Some bond investor, in this case it's me, I loaned, I loaned you 100000 bucks. I want to make money off the interest rate, right? Somebody's got to collect it, disperse it, make sure it gets paid on time, make sure the taxes get paid, make sure the insurance gets paid, all those things, right? It's called loan servicing. So let's say I do a loan today, and I do it with United Wholesale Mortgage. That's the lender we use the most because they're most efficient, they're super competitive. And they immediately, they've already committed to selling the loan to Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac in advance. As long as it meets their criteria, they're, it's, they, that's what a lock is. We've locked it in with you, we're going to deliver it within 30 days. That's what a lock really is, Okay. But now after loan closes, United Wholesale Mortgage has this loan that they can choose to service, Eric, or not. Let's just pretend that they're the largest wholesale lender in the United States now. I don't know how much money they have that they collect. Let's just pretend uh, this month, let's pretend they're servicing $100 million in loans. I don't know. Okay, And they say, we need a little cash infusion. So that that, loan, that that $100 million in loans, just, let's just pretend for rough numbers, they make a million dollars a month off the servicing because they're paid to do that. They don't, they're not going to do it for free. That's built into the rate. The bond investor says, well, I'm going to pay you to collect this every month from me. A little tiny bit, right? Making sense? Because I want my money delivered to me, and I'm not going to go chase Eric down. Right? Okay, so you know, Wholesale says, gosh, we could use a little cash infusion right now. We're, you know, everything's going good, but we just need a little bit of cash. So what they'll do is they'll, they'll go over to Wells Fargo, and they'll say, look, we got a million dollars of cash flow right now a month on this book assert this this group of servicing. How would you like to buy it from us? And Wells Fargo say you'll buy it from you for nine hundred thousand. See, so that's called servicing release, mm-hmm. and banks can make money off of that. There's other. I, I'm not going to get way into the weeds now. There's other ways that they can make money off of that too. Okay, but that's that's why it happens. So the servicing itself is a completely separate entity from the loan. That's of course the servicing can change, but the loan terms can't. They can't right. go, well, now that we're servicing your loan, your rate's seven instead of three. Oh, what? <laughs> I can't do that. Yeah. Now, there have been, you know, w- during the whole crisis, there were a lot of nightmares when move loans are moving around. and was, they, they, they try over the years to elect, to make these things more efficient by electronics. The, the things got lost in the shuffle, and mm-hmm. it got, oh, it's kind of a mess, right? But, yeah, that's, that's why they changed. Now, advice. After a loan closes... Never send your payment to anybody unless you're 100% sure that the lender you started with actually sold it to the other lender, the servicing. Now, I've never had this happen with any of my clients, but there have been cases where, you know, there's a lot of scam artists out there, and they'll somehow get a list of people who have loans, and they'll say, oh, we've been authorized to now collect your payment. We are the new servicer on your loan. They know the language. And people have said, okay. And they send a letter. And then the other lender says, well, where's our payment? What, who do you... <laughs> Common sense. That's pretty sleazy. Yeah. I had, in my whole 28, 30, or whatever it is, career, God, it's coming on 29 now. Yeah. Um, I had one client receive something that was 
well, two, but I, one of them I remember very distinctly. What they received after the closing, received a, a, a very official-looking document that says, um, you missed a $25 filing fee. It was just somebody like you or me that says, oh, let's see if we can make some money off people. Just send a thing. twenty. But you know, Because when they're doing this, they're getting all these different people they don't understand. And I just tell my clients, after closing, you don't send money to anybody other right. than your lender. And if somebody else contacts you, you contact me immediately. And that's what they did. And then I, I took it, to, you know, I sent it off to the attorney general. I don't know what happened. It's been a while. Common sense, right? But once, if, if a lender sells your servicing to someone else, there's certain protocols they have to follow. They have to tell you, um, I believe that they can't do it sooner than 60 days. It might be 30. Um, if, there's a, if there's a late payment that occurs, they, they can't report it because of the confusion. Some other things like that. But there are some things to protect the consumer. I mean, what if you're on vacation and they change the service and you had auto debit, right? So there are things in there to protect you. I don't remember what they all are. Okay, but if if it comes up, you just make sure you follow their their guidelines and be real real smart about it, right, Eric? Okay, so does that answer the question about the servicing thing? Yeah, that's why it happens. I know it's still annoying though. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know why it happens, but does it change the annoyance factor? No, it doesn't, because as yeah. a consumer, it re- okay. is really frustrating. And there is, to yeah. my knowledge, there's no profit in the annoyance factor. I don't know no, if there's. there's a, I don't know if banks make money off of annoyance factors. But I, I, I tell you, if if I knew, I mean, when I was shopping around for my next mortgage, if I knew that it was going to stay with one bank for the lifetime, yeah. I mean, unless they went under, that would be something that That's I would definitely consider a selling point. Yeah, I've had other people bring that up. So there are some, like, okay, let's go back to Washington Federal. I have a lot of respect for that institution, by the way. And they don't sell servicing because they're, that's their loan. Mm-hmm. That's just how they do it. But you're going to pay a half, quarter percent, half percent higher rate. Is it worth it? Yeah, that's the question. Now, every once in a while, servicing gets messed up, too, by the way. Just, but it's yeah. not that common. But it does. You know, where they, I had one client once that was sending an extra principal and they didn't apply it to the principal. They just sat it into a little account. I don't know, what were they, this is a long time ago. It's like, what? And then there's times when they don't pay the taxes or the insurance quite right. So right. These things don't happen very often. I can count on one hand in 29 years how many times I've had that kind of thing happen. But they do. It's like life. Yes, people make mistakes. You know? mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so we talked about how rates worked. We talked about why Fannie and Freddie exist and how they operate. FHA and VA are similar as bond investors. And FHA, just because we're on the topic, it stands for Federal Housing Authority. Um, it, 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 it's a different entity similar to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac that has their own underwriting guidelines that allow people to buy homes that have different credit and financial profiles than Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. It's a smaller entity. It's been around a long time. Um, and it's there's, there's pros and cons to it. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac compete with it. And the VA, of course, is very special. VA is for people who are veterans. Veterans, veterans, I said, vet, like vittles, veterans, <laughs> veterans. Yeah, so you can get a loan with a zero down and you get some other privileges being a veteran. And you get a certificate that allows, see what, FHA and VA both have insurance premiums that the government uses to cover their risk because of the lower down payment and in the case of FHA, a little bit riskier credit profile. So they have mortgage insurance no matter what your down payment is. See? Um, conforming loans, if you put 20% more down, you don't pay mortgage insurance. If you get an FHA loan and you pay 20% down, you still pay mortgage insurance. 
It's part of the way it works. VA, you don't pay a monthly mortgage insurance premium. You pay a one-time upfront fee. doesn't matter how much you put down. You pay the fee. It varies a little bit based on your down payment, but you got to pay it. Now, I haven't done a VA loan for so darn long. I might, that might have changed. So if you're listening to me right now out there and you say that's changed, call me. I'd like to know. I just don't, haven't done a VA loan for a long time. Okay, so FHA, da-da-da-da. So let's talk a little bit about some of the news stories that are brought in. And the first one is about interest rates. This is a story published in the Scotsman Guide, which is a, a, a service I subscribe to, written by Arnie Arlano. If you're listening, Arnie, I hope, you don't, hope I didn't butcher your name. And it's all about the Federal Reserve meeting at the beginning of this month, and I'm going to read verbatim. The Federal Reserve's two-day meeting not only yielded no shifts in the benchmark interest rate, but also an indication that no action is anticipated next year, 2020. Now, Eric, we've said this before. What the Fed does does not directly correlate to mortgage rates. You've heard me say this more than once. If the central back to the article, if the central bank follows through, though, or through, it would be a marked change from 2009, in which the Fed lowered its rates three times. With the economy on solid, if uncertain footing, I like that, <laughs> solid and uncertain. But uh, then, quote, the committee judges that the current stance of monetary policy is appropriate to support sustained expansion of economic activity labor market conditions, and inflation near the committee's symmetric 2% objective, unquote, the Reserve's Federal Open Market Committee announced. I just read that whole sentence because I've never had the opportunity to do Fed speak in public before on the airwaves, and that was really exciting. So bottom line here is that they think that if they keep the Fed rates roughly where they are for the next year or so, then things are going to be fine. They don't need to try to stimulate the economy, and they don't need to try to slow down the economy. So when they lower short-term rates, the purpose of it is to try to stimulate the economy. And quite often when they do that, mortgage rates will actually go up a little bit because the people who invest in mortgage rates, mortgage bonds, are concerned about inflation and economic activity when it heats up, stirs up inflation. On many occasions when the Fed raises short-term rates, I'll see mortgage rates go down for the exact opposite reason because the Fed is saying, hey, I'm going to make sure inflation doesn't get out of control. And so a mortgage investor goes, whew, that's okay. Then I'm more, com- I'm more comfortable that we're not going to have inflation to erode my long-term secure investment. So um, quarterly projections from the Fed is that they project maybe one interest rate move in 2021 and one in 2022. So what this tells me more than anything is the Fed thinks the economy is really in, a, in, a, in a, just a flat not we don't see any real heating up or going down now, of course that could change and what is that t- what, what do you care about this if you're a homeowner or, or, or um, going to be a homeowner well let's just take example one of my clients who's right now looking to buy a home that's not going to be finished brand new construction until april right so the question is, is hmm that's 100 120 days from now do i lock now my interest rate well when you lock your rate is the rate is the rate. Remember that rate range, Eric? Okay, but the rate you pick has an associated cost, and we talked about where that cost comes from. Yeah. Part of that cost also comes from how long that rate is locked because an investor who, who says, okay, I'm going to have my investment in my hands in 15 days versus one that says I'm not going to have that investment in my hands for 120 days, then 120 days I'm taking more risk. So if you said to me, Greg, I want to I borrow... 
$100,000 from you, but I don't want to actually take the money until next April. I'm going to say, whoa, 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 whoa. That's going to cost you more. Why? Because I'm taking more risk. I don't know what's going to happen next April. Uh, right now, I have a pretty good feel in the next 30 days that my 3.5 interest rate I'm lending to you is a pretty good investment for me. How am I going to know that in 120 days? Right. So I'm going to charge you an extra fee for that. The longer the lock, the higher the fee. Always. Do many people do that? I mean, well, this is the try question. and lock okay. something in a, okay, that, so, without having a property lined up? or Well, that's, let's, talk, let's not talk about that. We'll go off on a tangent. Okay. So we got a property. I've got a, I've got a borrower right now who's one of my real estate clients who's in contract to buy a Toll Brothers home. Whenever you buy from a big builder like Toll Brothers, D.R. Horton, one of those companies, always talk to their mortgage division. They usually have one because they will typically offer a longer lock period with some sort of a what's called float-down option. I'll give you the Toll Brothers example. In this case, it's not the house is going to be built for almost a year. So that's quite a bit of risk for my borrower to wait all that time. So Toll Brothers says, look, for an upfront deposit from you, I think it was 1%, we'll lock your rate in for 250 days, say, whatever it is, okay? And if between now and then rates stay the same or drop, we'll let you at the 30-day mark take whatever the 30-day price of that rate is. So that's a no-brainer. By the way, that 1% deposit, Eric, is you, if you don't close the loan, they keep it. It's because they're taking risk. okay? Because they've got arrangements with Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac on these things. So that's, that's what's called a float-down option. And so this particular borrower of mine, he's buying a home that's, that's a new construction condo built by D.R. Horton. And, of course, the first thing I told him, and he already planned on doing this, he's a past long-term client, he said, I said, you got to talk to D.R. Horton and see what they offer. So, now what's the point of all this? Okay, so I talked about how the Federal Reserve doesn't plan to take any, maybe any action for a year, which means that interest rates overall, if the economy stays the same, interest rates probably won't move much. So the question is, does it make sense to lock at all? And you have to weigh it with every single situation. The Toll Brothers, when I'd say, yeah, because if, you, if the rates stay the same or down, you can take the, the rate then anyway. The, one, the way that D.R. Horton is structured, not quite the same. It's uh, because the longer lock costs more, period. So there you go, okay? Um, so that's one of the reasons I brought this up. If anybody's thinking about buying a house and they're thinking about doing a long lock, talk very carefully. First of all, if you're buying new construction, always talk with whoever the, the builder, if they have a mortgage division. And most of them will make you get approved of them because they want to make sure that you're actually approvable because they trust the people. They'll also give you the option to go someplace else, but talk to them about their float-down options and long-lock options. And then compare it to other people. So uh, let's see. Let's see. we got about eight minutes left. I got all kinds of news articles, but we don't need to go through them. Here's one that's interesting. Okay, so when you sell a house, when you buy a house in this state, you don't pay sales tax. You know that, right, Eric? When you buy a car, you pay sales tax. Right. You buy a boat. You don't pay sales tax. You buy a loaf of bread. Okay. But if you sell a house, you pay a tax called an excise tax. Did you know that? Yes. Okay. And it depends on what county you're in and so forth. But it's roughly, right now, no matter what the price is, through the end of this year, and as long as I can remember, it's been the same no matter what your house sale price is, and it's been about 1.8%. So beginning January this year, it's going to be tiered. So for homes between zero and five hundred thousand, it's going to be one point six percent. Now, in in Washington State in general, or certain counties, yep. or and it's it, it changes a little bit. Um, like I'm looking at it. Let's see. Da, 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 da. 
Yeah. Uh, I would just say, based on this article right here, I took it off the multiple listing service. They, they, I, I have a whole list of all the counties, but the counties are so different. They're like tenths of percents. Mm-hmm. This might be, they might have changed it so it's across the board for every county, but it's so close it makes no difference. Okay. Now let me ask you this. Yeah. And and now will any of them be less than the current yeah. rate? Yeah. Let's, let's oh, do it. Yeah. Okay. So zero to hundred, <laughs> zero to half a million, one point six. Five hundred million, you know, five hundred thousand, one dollar to one point five million, one point seven eight, which is still slightly lower because right now they're about one point eight seven or something right in there. Okay, one million and one dollar to three million, three point two five, huge jump, you know, almost double, and then three million and one dollar plus three and a half percent. So this is good news for the majority of us. If- it's the yeah from people they're selling houses from one and a half million below. It is people yeah. selling over one and a half million. No. You know, I, and I, so if you have a house right now that's over one and a half million, you want to try and sell it before the end of the year. There Other than go. that, <laughs> you might want to sell it, and you know, start in January. If you've you got it. that kind of money, maybe yeah. just don't worry about yeah. it. Now, this is an interesting thing too that people run across periodically. Let's just say you and I together bought, you know, bought a house together. We're not related. At least I don't think we are. So we we, gonna, we both have Irish ancestry. That's so part of it. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> you don't know. Yeah. So we buy a house together, and then two years from now, um, you just you, you know I, I I quit all my interest to you. I just say okay, you can have the rest of it. The, that's a taxable event. Even if no money changed hands, if I quit my interest to you, I've essentially given you equity at home, and there's a calculation for that, and that calculation would incur a tax event. Hmm. Now. The reason this came up is I have a client right now who has had a long-term roommate. They're great buddies from way back. They're going to buy a house together. And I said, if we're going to do this, it's going to be a taxable event because they're going to buy the house. Because you know, yeah. I said, do it, do it after January because it'll be less tax. But ideally, figure out a way not to do it. Right. Okay. So, by the way, you can, you can buy a home together and one person can be on the loan as long as they qualify. Another person can just be on ownership, which is title. Hmm. But- if both people are on the loan, then they both have to be on title, every lender I know of. Because basically, lenders say, well, if you're going to have a liability, we have to give you some ownership. Um, let me think that out loud now for a second. I, you might be able to get off of that, but that's okay. I, you know what? I might be a little confused about that. When I know, I know that you can be on title or ownership without being on the, having liability, but can you have liability without having ownership? Eh, I forget, actually. That's... See, I stumped myself on that one. Something to research for next time. Yes, I'll see if I can make note of it. Okay, so I'll say loan, no title. Hmm. And maybe if you acknowledged, here's the deal. Let's just say we both had a loan mm-hmm. on a house. Well, if you if you're both have on title, then I have to acknowledge that I understand that you have a lien against it. You own, We own the house 50-50. You're the 100% of the loan. I have to acknowledge I have to acknowledge that I understand. Well, I have to acknowledge the deed. Otherwise, you're taking a liability against my equity, right? Yeah. But to go in reverse, do I have to acknowledge your ownership that I don't have ownership on my liability? I don't know how that would work. What that, about if in a like a scenario you talked about of two people buying a house together, if yeah. one of them passes on, um, and so that does that equity default to the other owner? Or depends on how you wrote the to, vesting in the title. Yeah. In most cases, yes. Were you here when my cousin Steve, the state plan attorney, was talking about all those things? 
Probably, yes. yeah. Yeah, you were. Yeah. Okay. So there's different ways you can hold title. Title is how you own the home. Okay. It's recorded with the county. And there are several different ways to do it. Um, a real common way to do it is just community. Well, let's just say husband and wife. That that implies what's called community property. And then if one person passes, the other gets. But it not necessarily mean that because there could be a, somebody somebody could contest it. So there's other ways to do it. I steer away from talking about that stuff because then I start to get in the grounds of talking about legal. And, sure. And I've been advised in the real estate, you try not to talk about legality. You say, talk to your attorney about it. Yeah. So, but there are different ways to own it. And I, 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 I did learn it. So I, I probably could talk about it without getting in trouble. But you have things like joint tenancy, mm-hmm. um, tenants in common. And those have different ways of whether you break up, if, if you like, for instance, 50-50 versus thirds. What happens if one person passes? Does, does it, is it distributed amongst the others 50-50? Is it distributed? And there's, there's, I, I haven't looked at it for a while, so I'm fumbling here. I couldn't tell you. I'd have to go back to my notes to see which is which. Usually I tell people, I say, if you have any concerns about how to do this, you need to talk to an attorney because I cannot give you that advice. And I refer them to Steve if they're interested in talking to somebody that who, you know, because I have some potential legal liability. All right. So um, the excise tax thing is kind of interesting. Again, if you're going to sell a house between now and the end of the year and it's it's worth less than $1.5 million, hold off. till January 1, you pay a little bit less tax. If you got a house that's over $1.5 million, sell it now, and I can list it for you. <laughs> okay. Another thing is um, every, well, almost every year, the... Fannie and Freddie raise their loan limits. See, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac only buy loans from banks up to certain loan limits. And um, in 2019, say, for instance, in King County, they would buy loans up to uh, $726,525. In King County next year, and most lenders have already started this, by the way, because they usually start early. It went from seven twenty six roughly, to seven forty two. Now, why is that important? Because it costs more to get a loan, typically, that's what's called a jumbo loan, which exceeds that limit, Eric. You've probably heard the term jumbo loans. Why? Because Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are the biggest pool of loan purchasers. So they have lower rates because they have more risk spread out. They have, you know, and so lenders, the investors who buy jumbo loans from, from, from banks, the ones that are over in that way in the high over seven or more, they have a little bit higher rates and fees or you know, you know, either one, which one I'll call it. The rates are the same, but the cost for the rate's higher because there's more risk and there's less of a pool to buy it from. Then that's always not always the case, though. I know jumbo lenders sometimes that are more competitive than what we call conforming lenders. Lenders that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, that's called a conforming loan. They buy it up to this now 742 mark. By the way, that's for a single home in King County. And like, for instance, Jefferson County, it's 510 next year. There's only th- a couple counties in the state Snohomish, Pierce, and King that I'm aware of that have the higher limits. Every other county's four, 510, 400. There might be a county, I don't have my list, like Spokane or something, but those are the tri-county area that most people are buying and selling in that I deal with. And then if you buy a two-unit home, uh, two, um, home, the limits are higher. Three-limit home, I mean, four-unit home and, and, and three-limit. Oh, God, four-unit homes. Good Lord. So Fannie, made, Fannie and Freddie do loans from one to four unit homes. After that, it's a commercial loan. Anything that's five or more. So we're done for the day? Wow, I didn't get to hardly any of my news stories. All I did was blather on and on about interest rates. <laughs> There's always next time. There's always next time. I've got lots of news to share with you. So thank you for listening today. 
Home Talk with Greg McKim. I air on Tuesdays from 3 to 4 on 1150 AM KKNW. I hope you all have. Well, I'll be back next. Maybe I won't be back. Is that is that Christmas Eve? Christmas Eve. I'm not going to be here. I'll do a rebroadcast. Okay. <laughs> so everybody, happy holidays, and I'll see you in two weeks or so. Thank you.